May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. In our Gospel reading this morning, Jesus is once again speaking to His disciples near the end of His um, ministry uh, with them. He's headed towards the cross. And in these uh, final words, He highlights the importance of being a certain kind of person. Uh, He highlights the importance of character. And He wants His disciples to have this kind of a character quality, that they love one another, that they would be people of love. Character counts a great deal, doesn't it? Character matters. I don't think I have to spend a whole lot of time convincing us that that maybe even more than talent, um, intelligence, drivenness, being attractive, in the long haul, what really counts is character. We're going to do something fruitful for God. It's it's about who we are. Just to give a, a recent example, we see all the time that Businesses face scandal. There's political scandals. We see this all the time. Families often are in turmoil, and it usually goes back to something to do with someone's character, a character flaw. But recently there was a a four-star general, and he was a former leader of the CIA, who who had to admit in court and plead guilty to mishandling classified information in order to avoid jail time. And um, now this was a man of high reputation and high ranking. But his reputation has been tarnished because of a character flaw, and he had mishandled the classified information in the context of an extramarital affair. Character counts. Character matters. It's not just about what we do, but who we are that affects the good that we can accomplish for God. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to have this character above all else, love. Love one another. Remember last time we talked about John 15. This is part of the upper room discourse. These are some of the final instructions that Jesus is giving his disciples. He's teaching them how they can be fruitful when he's away from them, away from them physically. He's going to be with them spiritually through the power of the Holy Spirit. But they've been with him for three years. And now he says, I'm going to return to my father. And here I'm going to teach you how you can bear fruit for the kingdom of God, even when I'm away with you, away from you. And, And the principle, of course, is... What he talked about last week, what we saw last week, was this image of the vine and the branch. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and then you will bear much fruit. John fifteen five. You are the you are I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So the, the starting point of fruitfulness we talked about last time is maintaining this relationship with Jesus Christ and cultivating this relationship with Christ. And he says, out of that relationship. Fruit is going to come. But now he begins to unfold his teaching a little bit more. And and he talks about the kind of people that they should be in order to be fruitful. Love one another. Now, the love that we have for one another is part of the fruit of being connected to Christ. We are to abide in his love. He says at the beginning of this uh, section, abide in my love, remain in my love. And, uh, and, And then the fruit comes because as we receive the love of Christ, it helps us to love other people. So Jesus gives him uh, this command. And this is a command for every generation. He just puts this before us and the Holy Spirit has preserved these words for us so that every generation of disciples remembers that this is the key 
loving one another. Now, it might seem a strange thing to command love. Especially the way the world thinks about love. We think about love as, the world thinks about love as an emotional, spontaneous response to something or someone that elicits love. I love you because you're lovable. Or you do something that does something for me. And so my love is a a response to that. My love is an emotion that sort of wells up. But you know that in the New Testament, that's not how the Scripture sees and how the New Testament teaches love is. Love is an act of the will. Love is a decision that we make. And it's, um, as we'll see here, sacrificial for the sake of the other. And so he's able to command this because it really is an act of the will. What he's saying to his disciples is, I want you, when I'm away, I want you to purposely, willfully engage in loving one another. Be intentional about this. Keep this up. Now, the feelings might come. The feelings might follow after the obedience. But the command trains us to be people who love one another. Um, in my house, of course, we have lots of kids and squabbles break out frequently. And uh, uh, the toddlers oftentimes are fighting maybe over toys. Maybe one of them has built a Lego house and the other one comes along and gives it a kick and destroys the whole thing. And so then the yelling starts and the screaming, the wailing, the cries of injustice. And so here come the parents. We're trying to figure out what happened here. We determine who's guilty, who's innocent, who's the offending party, who's the offended one, you know. So we're, we're dealing in the realm of provisional justice. As we, we don't, we're not going to have it perfect. Figure out. And then um, we say to the one, as best as we can determine, the offending party, okay, I want you to say sorry. Commanding you to say sorry. And then you say, I forgive you. And then if, you know, we really want, want something special to happen, we say, now hug and make up, you know. Now, are they, are they, are they always wanting to forgive? Are they truly sorry? Not always. Not usually. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes it happens. But what we're doing is we're commanding them to do this because we're training them. You may not feel it, but this is the right thing to do. This is how to reconcile. And we hope and pray that over time they become the mature spiritual people who can recognize I've hurt somebody and I need to, I need to confess that. My actions hurt other people. And that they can be spiritually mature enough to then offer that forgiveness to the other person. But the command trains them that this is the right thing to do. And this is what Jesus is giving us, this command. I want my disciples to, to know that this is the appropriate behavior of a follower of Jesus Christ, of my followers. So he has the command, and then he gives us the model, <laughs> doesn't he? He gives the command, and then he provides a model, because we need models to form our character. Our character is often shaped by the people we emulate. And so Jesus points to the model of love here, which is God the Father and himself, God the Son. And he says, I want you to, he says, as the Father has loved me, verse 9, so I have loved you. First, he points to the love of the Father for himself, that they've, they've been with Jesus for three years or so, and they've witnessed the love that God the Father has for the Son. God's the Father's love for His Son has been manifested in various ways. He's led Jesus. He's uh, empowered Jesus. He's sustained Jesus. They witness this relationship that the 
the Son had with the Father in Jesus' prayer life, the intimacy and the love that they shared. Jesus was able to express that love with that intimate um, expression, Abba, Father. And so they saw that. They saw that the Father loves the Son. The Father is pleased with the Son. And so Jesus says, you've seen this in me. I want you to emulate that kind of love. And then he points to himself. He says, I want you to love one another like I have loved you. And the greatest example of the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to is his death on the cross. So he alludes to that in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And so Jesus is saying that just before he's going to the cross. Greater love has, has no one than this, that he, that he lay down his life for his, his friends, and then he laid down his life for his friends. Soon after, he went to the cross, died for them, died for us, to show us the depth of his love. So this is sacrificial love. And one of the reasons, this is Mother's Day, uh, one of the reasons we honor our mothers is because of the loving sacrifices that they've made throughout our lives. We, we honor them while they're alive. We remember them when they've passed on. We remember the sacrifices that they made for us because we, we know instinctively that this is the greatest kind of love, the self-giving sacrificial love. And so it's right to honor people who make those kind of sacrifices. And Jesus made the greatest act of love, the greatest act of sacrificial love on the cross. He laid down... His life for us, so that we can live. And so here's a simple question. Do we want to be more loving? Do we want to love people better in our family, among our friends, our, our co-workers, within the church? Do we want to be people of love? Well, then look to Jesus. He provides the model. He provides them the way. Abide in my love, he says. Remain in in my love, remind yourself of my unconditional love that you're going to see displayed on the cross. And then out of that love that I have for you, love one another. Here's what one pastor wrote, Glenn McDonald. He said this, that the church faces a monumental task. Our culture sings, all we need is love. And our call is to teach the culture a new song. All we need more than anything else is a passionate love for Christ, devotion to Jesus, because it's through Jesus. One of the the primary benefits of a relationship with Jesus is to know that you're loved and that enables you to love others. And he said that, you know, people who aim for love, they're they're looking for love. Here's another song looking for love, but in all the wrong places. They're aiming for love. They make love their pursuit. Oftentimes, ironically, they miss it. They're eager for attention, affection, affirmation, and they're running around looking for it. And he reminds us here, look to Christ. When you're connected to Christ, you're abiding in his love. Then you know you're loved and you are enabled, power to love others. We recognize that in our culture today that we, we need to love one another. We need to affirm the dignity and worth of all people. There was an African-American uh, protester in Baltimore. I don't know if you saw this. I think it was being passed around on the, on the Internet. But in Baltimore, where the riots were, this African-American man standing in front of a white officer. And he said, I just want you to know I love you. Not here to hurt you. I, I love you. Just speaking that word. Maybe he was a Christian. Maybe he was a pastor. But where do we find that love that's going to heal the conflicts that we experience socially, culturally, within our families? We have to look to Christ. 
for the example of unconditional love. Um, Now, I want to talk about the results of putting this command in action that we experience as Christians in just a moment. But I'm going to back up here and and just uh, address something that that kind of bothered me when I first read this passage. I don't know if you picked up on it. But the question that arose uh, as I dealt with this passage earlier in the week is this question. Is Jesus saying that his love is conditional? Did that come up for anybody when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So is Jesus's love, is God's love for us conditional? Well, he's not saying that God's love is conditional. He's talking about this experience of abiding in his love. You will abide in my love if you keep my commandments. God's love is unconditional. Uh, God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. So God cannot turn off his love. The sun can't stop shining because it's his nature to shine. God's very nature is love, so he can't stop loving. But we can reject his love. We can walk away from his love. Jesus talks here about friendship. You are my friends if you keep my commandments. What do friends do? What's one of the the main things that a friend does to show that he loves the other? Faithful, appreciates, and, and, and kind. Jesus shows us all that and listens. We listen to each other. And, and Jesus says, if you're my friend, you're going to listen to my words and you're going to obey my words. A friend doesn't listen and then ignore. A friend, a, a friend listens and engages, and that's a sign that we care about the other. And so Jesus is talking here not so much about love in general, but, but this kind of love that's an abiding love that takes up residence in us. And he says, if you want to experience the love of God like that flowing through me, then be my friend and listen to what I say, and let's walk together and do life together in obedience to God. Um, so I guess we can ask ourselves, are we a friend of Christ? Are we listening to him? Are we hearing his voice? Or maybe we're acquaintance, but are we a friend? Is his love abiding and dwelling in us? So he says, then he talks about the results of walking in obedience to this command to love one another. And one of the things Jesus says is that we can experience joy. This is one of the results. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of us need more joy in our life? could use more joy in in my life as well. Jesus is saying that as you walk in this command, you're going to experience more joy because this is who you are if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know the love of God in Jesus Christ and you're designed to love other people. And as we become who we are, we experience joy. Jesus is talking about joy here. and It's quite remarkable in, in this upper room discourse. Just before he's going to the cross, he talks about joy a great deal. Why is that? He's headed towards a a place of great suffering because he knows this is the reason he came. This is the purpose. This is the mission that God has given him. And as he's heading towards that, there is a sense of, even though he doesn't want to face the suffering of the cross, a sense of joy in doing the will of God. This is why he came. And he knows that beyond the cross, there's going to be great joy, joy that was set before him. And so as we become the people that God calls us to be, we experience greater joy in our life, greater contentment. 
C.S. Lewis, we've been studying C.S. Lewis on Wednesday night, Mere Christianity. And one of the themes of C.S. Lewis is joy. He says, we all desire joy. And he wrote a great deal about joy. And, and there's a letter that was just recently discovered by C.S. Lewis. Uh, and it was just discovered a couple months ago. And in this letter, he was writing to a friend on this very topic uh, about joy. And he said this, he said, I would rather experience one second of joy than 12 hours of pleasure. Because the kind of joy he's talking about is deep down in your bones, contentment and hope and peace because you're aligned with God. And so Jesus says, if you want that in your life, the joy that I'm experiencing, I'm going to give it to you as you walk in obedience to me. Here's another uh, result of loving one another. And that is our witness becomes more effective. We, we have a more fruitful witness. That's part of the fruit that Jesus, I think, is talking about here. Part of the fruit is becoming more loving, experiencing his love, being formed in the likeness of Christ as we abide in him. But the other part of, his, of this fruit, I think, is effectiveness and mission. He's sending these disciples out. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. So this is a statement about mission, go and prayer and prayer in the context of mission. As you go in dependence upon me, pray and my father will give you whatever you ask as you're following him in mission. And this statement about mission and prayer is is sandwiched. By the command to love one another. Jesus starts with the command to love one another. And then he ends this passage with the command, love one another. So there's a relationship between our love for one another and our mission. And the relationship is the more we love, the greater our witness. The more we love, the greater our witness. Love is the great apologetic. Jesus said in John 13, 35, it's part of the same Discourse by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what love for one another. So here's some questions. I'm going to wrap it up here. Almost wrap it up. Here's some questions that I had to ask myself this week as I just reflected on this this passage. Okay, Thinking about mission, want to be fruitful, want to see this church be fruitful for generations if the Lord tarries. So do I want to see people? Come into the kingdom of God. Do I want to see people who are far from God come to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ? Do I want my neighbors and my friends to know Christ? Do I want my kids to have Christ at the center of their life and their children's children? Then how am I doing in this matter of love? By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love for one another authenticates the message. So how am I doing if I want to see fruitful mission taking place in the church and in my family and in my life? How am I doing in making progress in becoming a more loving person? Am I abiding in Christ's love enough so that his love flows through me? One way to measure this is to use Paul's job description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. You know that job description? Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Not envious, boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking. Love does not keep a record of who's wrong to me. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in good things. So I can take Paul's job description of love and ask myself, how am I doing in these categories of patience, kindness, forgiving others? And as I think through those things, I need to ask myself, okay, what do I need to repent of? Because I know I'm not an A-plus in this. Nobody's an A-plus. Nobody's a 4.0 in this curriculum of love except for Jesus. And I'm thankful that as a congregation, we see these acts of love going on throughout the week. I mean, it happens regularly. I see people taking care of one another and making meals for one another and dropping each other off at the doctor. Some people regularly pass money on to me and say, there's a person over here who's in need and you need to give this to them and don't let them know that it's me. This is a witness to Christ. I rejoice in this. This is great witness to Christ. But can we improve? Is there room for improvement? Always. Is there a place of repentance in my life? Certainly. Are we always patient with each other? Are we always kind? Do we speak harsh words? Do we gossip? Do we slander? Is there somebody that I need to make amends with? Jesus says that as you love one another, the world will understand that you really are my disciple. The world is looking for this kind of love that I'm giving you, and then you need to live it out together in the community to be a witness to this kind of love. It would have been a lot easier if Jesus would have said, you know what, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you can answer this 10-point theology exam that I'm going to give you. Or by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have a cross around your neck or if the programs in your church are great. But he doesn't say that because he's after our character. He wants to remake us and reshape us in his image. That authenticates the message. And when people come in contact with the community or people who've been gripped by the love of Christ and display that, not perfectly, but are walking in love, they say, this is the real deal. This is who God is calling us to be as a community. And so Jesus gives us the command. He provides the model. And he says, if you pursue this, as you pursue this, you're going to experience more joy in your life. How many people can affirm that? And you're going to be more fruitful. And that's what we want. That's what we need. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these words of your son. We thank you that you showed us love and that, Lord Jesus, you showed us the greatest example of sacrificial love in laying down your life, the cross. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to become more loving for your glory, for your honor. You promise that as we do that, we'll experience more joy and we'll be more fruitful in mission. Lord, I pray that uh, if there are those here who maybe are more acquaintances than friends of Christ, that you'll call us into a deeper relationship with you, that we'll hear your word, we'll listen to it, we'll seek to live it out. Thank you once again that you um, love us unconditionally and you call us to walk in this path for our good and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.